0: You know, we really are the canvas and the clay. God wants to work in us and with us and through us. With that in mind, take a copy of God's word and look at Luke chapter 6. As we'll look at a man who God changed. Book of Luke chapter 6. Begin reading with verse 27. We're doing a sermon series on Sunday mornings based on the book of Luke. Looking at various accounts of Jesus having encounters with people. What we've learned, and this is true, whenever you have an encounter with Jesus, he's going to challenge you, and many times he'll change you. He wants to change you, but I promise you, he will challenge you. And so every time so far, we've seen Jesus in a situation, he is challenging people and changing people, and we're going to see that throughout this series. Today, we're going to look at a man who had an incredible encounter, and he was changed. Book of Luke, chapter 5, beginning with verse 27. After he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house, and and there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray. Father, we pray today that we'll hear your voice as you speak to us. Because, Father, we know you will speak to us, telling us, Father, what we are to do. And so, Father, let us be in tune to your voice, and let us obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we were at seminary, I received a letter from the IRS. Now, you have to understand something. We were seminary students. We didn't make much money at all. Why would the IRS send me a letter? But I still remember the letter. I remember reading the letter. I can't even tell you what it said. It said, dear Mr. Summerlin, under penalty of law, and that's when I stopped reading. <laughs> I got physically sick. Uh, we, we were seminary students, under penalty of law. So when Eileen came home, I gave her the letter. She, said, you need to read this. She read the whole thing. And she said, the letter says that we made a mistake on our taxes and we're getting more money back. Apparently, back in the day, they started all their letters with under penalty of law. I mean, even in modern day, the tax collectors can be very intimidating. But for the record, I love the IRS. And I pray for you daily. Just in case they're watching. As bad as it is today, it was worse in Jesus' day. Because in our text, we find a tax collector that is going to have his life turn around. His name is Levi. We also know him as Matthew. He's mentioned eight times in the New Testament. Three of those times, he's called Levi. Four times, he's mentioned in the Bible. He's mentioned in the list of the disciples. And four of the other times, he's mentioned being called by Jesus. Why? Because this conversion is amazing, and it's extraordinary that God would want to this person to join him, and God does not want us to forget this. Of all the disciples, this is the disciple that's the most amazing of them all. God gives us this story four times in the New Testament to remind us and to show us that we are never too far away from God. Again, Matthew was the most shocking of all the selections. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, I thought Judas was. No, Judas was after the fact. But at the beginning, Matthew was shocking. No one would have chosen a tax collector to join them. He was a tax collector. Now, again, as I said in the the Bible, he he goes by Matthew, also, also by the name of Levi. Now, being called Levi probably meant that he was from the tribe of Levi, Probably, perhaps, his parents thought he was going to be a priest. And they honored him with that name, Levi. It showed that they were proud of their heritage. They were excited that their son was going to be loved by the entire community. He should have been the man they did love. Instead, he became the man they most hated. This morning, I want us to look at Matthew. There are really just two parts of this. First, I want us to look at the problem with Matthew and then the potential of Matthew. First, the problem with Matthew. You have to understand this. No Jewish boy ever dreamed of becoming a tax collector. It was unheard of. Why? Well, Palestine was, was a province of Rome. And, and Rome was always needing more taxes so they could continue their army and continue their conquests. And so they taxed the people. And what they would do, they would go to the different people groups, and they would get people to be their tax collectors. And they did this by asking people to bid for the job. So if you were a tax collector in Rome, that meant you had the highest bid. You wanted the job. You outbid everyone. And there were so many taxes in Rome, in the statutory and the custom tax, statutory tax were uh, one-tenth of the grain one-fifth of the wine one percent of the annual income also you had to pay a poll tax for living in rome that was just the law in fact if you touch the ground you belong to the roman empire and they taxed it and so the romans would tell the tax collectors you are to collect the taxes and here's what you need to collect and by the way anything extra you keep So if you had a 10% tax on $100, that'd be $10, but you could charge $15 and pocket the $5. You could pocket, you could charge them anything you want. As long as you didn't start a riot, they didn't care. And the tax collector was protected by Rome. You couldn't argue with a tax collector. You'd be thrown in jail. You couldn't touch a tax collector. You'd be thrown in jail. You couldn't kill a tax collector. You would be killed. And tax collectors walked around. They had these bodyguards with them. Sometimes you actually had Roman guards walking with you. No one could touch the tax collector. During Jesus' day, there were two types of tax collectors. There were the goodbye and, and the, and the Mokas. I, I know that sounds like something out of Star Wars, but that really, were are their names? The Gabbai were, were the general tax collectors. They, they collected the property tax, the income tax, the poll tax. This was pretty standard tax. People knew what those taxes were. They, usually, they didn't cheat the people too much. The Mokas were different They had the tax on the imports and the exports. They would set up toll booths at different parts of the road, or the harbor deck or the bridges. They could tax anybody whatever they wanted to. So you could be walking on a road that you've been walking on for 20 years, and one day there's a a toll booth. The tax collector could look at you and say, you owe a tax for walking on the Roman road. And you have two feet, so we're going to have to charge you twice. You have a cart. Oh, my goodness, there's four wheels on that cart. We're going to have to charge you for each wheel. And your animal has four legs. We're going to charge each leg. What's in your bag? I might have to charge you everything in your bag. And remember, there's nothing you could do about it. And they would charge, and they would charge. And and being in Capernaum, that was a port city, and all the goods and services came to Capernaum. And so it was stated that if you were a tax collector there, it meant you were one of the richest and one of the most hated men of all. Mochas had two types. They had the, the great mocha. That, that was the chief tax collector. Zacchaeus was that. This was the person. He hired other people. He, he just stayed in his home and collected the money. Most people didn't even care about him. They didn't see him. It was the other group that they didn't like, the little mochas, because they saw them. Every day you would see them, and every day you see them, they would be taking money out of you. They were hated. And not only that, they, they were, the Jews called them unclean. Ceremonially, they were unclean because their job brought them in contact with the Gentiles. Politically, they were unclean because they dealt with Rome. Morally, they were unclean because usually they were dishonest and and exploited the people. And so if you were a tax collector, you were unclean. Therefore, you couldn't go to the temple. You couldn't join a synagogue. No one invited you to their home. Your family disowned you. They were outcasts. And you usually became a tax collector because of greed. Or you want to be successful. In the series, The Chosen, I like the way they portray Matthew because they make him a social outcast because of his personality. And that's why he went to Rome. But for the Jews, you did not associate with tax collectors. And if you associated with them, it was going to be a problem on you. Because they were sinners and robbers in the eyes of the people. And Matthew, sometime in his life, made a decision to become a tax collector. He made a decision, I am going to become a tax collector. And all this came with it. All that baggage came with it. All his problems came with it. By the way, we all make bad decisions. I hope you know that. We all make bad decisions, and sometimes we make bad decisions and we get some baggage in our life. Some of you here today, some of you watching online, you think you've messed up so bad God can never use you. You think you've messed up so bad you don't have a testimony anymore. Let me tell you, that's not true. We've all messed up. We've all made those bad decisions, okay? Matthew made a bad decision, but he's about to make a good decision. Look at the potential of Matthew. The world looked at Matthew, and they saw a vile human being. He's a traitor at best, greedy at best, a crook at worst. Remember, his family would have nothing to do with him. His his friends would have nothing to do with him. He was a loner, an outcast. But Jesus comes into his life. The world looked at Matthew, and all they saw was a problem. Jesus saw potential. Verse 27, after he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, he said to him, follow me. The world saw the problems. Jesus saw the potential. In 2017, the Kansas City Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes from Texas Tech. You might have heard of him. His second season, incredible. He led his team to the AFC Championship game. In 2020, he led the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, the first one in 50 years. He became the youngest Super Bowl MVP. Let me read to you what USA Today said when he was drafted in 2017. Calling Mahomes a project is a major understatement. He is nowhere near ready to play in the NFL. And honestly, he may never be. Between his inconsistent accuracy due to poor mechanics, his tendency to bail out from a clean pocket, and his lack of field vision, he's going to leave as many big plays on the fields as he corrects. This was a risky pick. I give a C-minus to the Kansas City Chiefs. This is why he's writing newspaper articles and not working with the NFL. He saw the problems, The chief saw the potential. Jesus sees our problems, but he sees our potential. And Jesus comes to him and he says to him, follow me. And Matthew makes a decision to follow him. And there's two key words. We can look at this passage. Two key words that we can take away. The first is the word repentant. Repentant. Remember, here's a man. He's not allowed to go to the synagogue. He's not allowed to go to the temple. He couldn't be a witness in court because they all knew tax collectors were liars. And yet here is Jesus asking him to follow him. Jesus is asking him, I want you to be my disciple. Jesus is asking him, I want you to follow me and I'm going to teach you and you're going to continue the work in your life. And so what does Matthew do? Verse 28. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. Maybe Matthew had heard him preach. Maybe Matthew had heard him teach. Maybe Matthew thought he was just a prophet. We don't know. Maybe he just thought he was a good teacher. We don't know. But what Matthew knew was this. This man is asking me to follow him. And I'm going to follow him. I'm going to give up everything to follow him Jesus did not give him a lecture about money or success or power he simply said follow me Jesus is asking Matthew to follow me because he wants me the Romans wanted Matthew because he had to pay them to want him and the Bible says he gets up and leaves everything by the way, what's interesting when Matthew writes this, the book of Matthew, he doesn't mention he left everything. I can almost see Luke saying, "Wait, wait, wait, wait a minute, Matthew, are you are you crazy? You gotta you gotta put that in there. This is amazing. You left everything right there. In fact, I submit to you this is the greatest sacrifice of any of the disciples." You say, well, "Why is that?" Because all the other disciples could go back to work if this didn't work out. Remember what happened after the crucifixion? There's a pastor that said they went back fishing. In other words, they went back to their jobs. All the other disciples could go back and get their work. Matthew couldn't. Once he left Rome, he could not go back to Rome and ask for his job back. They wouldn't let him. And because he was a tax collector, he couldn't go anywhere in the Jewish empire and say, uh, the Jewish world, and say, I, I, could you help me out? They're not going to do it because he was a tax collector. Matthew made the greatest sacrifice of any of the disciples by leaving everything to follow Jesus. And that's called repentance. Repentance is very simple. All it means, we make it too complicated, it means turn the other direction. I mean, if I'm walking this way towards sin and self, and I repent, it means I turn the complete opposite direction, and I start walking this way toward Jesus. That's what it means. You cannot repent and keep walking the way you're walking. You cannot repent and keep doing what you're doing. You have to turn and go the opposite direction. That is what Matthew did. In fact, it said at that moment, he left everything in the the tax booth. I mean, Matthew thought he would be known for his riches, but he became known for his relationship with Jesus. Matthew's like the parable of the man who... Found a great pearl and sold everything to own the pearl. He made a sacrifice to gain something. Repentance. Repentance is not more a modification. It's a transformation. Matthew was transformed. He made a 180 degree turn. He turned back from his life to go a different direction. He repented immediately to go to Jesus. And Please hear this. You cannot repent and keep doing what you've been doing. You cannot repent and continue your old life. It's impossible. All that means is you haven't repented. But there's another key word here. That is the word, as as Matthew is looking, is recruiter. He's a recruiter. Did, Did you notice what he did? Look at verse 29. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house, and there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Matthew repented and he starts following Jesus. And the first thing he wants to do is to introduce other people to Jesus. Matthew's not satisfied being a secret disciple, if that was possible, or a secret follower, if that was possible. He wanted everyone to know who Jesus was. And so he gave a party. Now he quit his job, but he still had his house. He still had a lot of money and he threw a party. You may be thinking, well, wait a minute, why did he invite the tax collectors? They're the only people that would come. No Jew in his right mind would go to a tax collector's house for a party. And the Romans didn't like the Jews, so they wouldn't have come to the party. Matthew invited the only people that would come to his party, and that was the tax collectors. You say, well, who the other group? The Pharisees called them sinners. Remember I said they always had bodyguards? These are the people you hire to protect you. These are the bouncers. These are the loan sharks. That's who he invited. Also, he invited prostitutes. Because in in that world, no Jewish girl would be with a a tax collector. No woman would be with a Jew. Therefore, they spent a lot of their time with with prostitutes. That's why you see those two names are connected throughout the gospel, tax collectors and prostitutes. And here's Matthew. He's inviting everyone that he knows because he wants to tell them about Jesus. By the way, them studies have made, and they found out when you become a Christian, that's when you're the most evangelistic. When you become a Christian, you tell more people about Christ than later. And here's why. You know more non-Christians. You see, unfortunately, as Christians, sometimes we stop hanging around non-Christians. It's kind of hard to witness if you're not around them. But here's Matthew saying, I got to tell my friends. And so he invited this party because he wanted them to know Jesus. He invited him into the party. Now, please understand, from a cultural viewpoint, this is unheard of. The tax collector, again, was at the same level as a prostitute. Matthew 21, 32. And here are these Pharisees and scribes looking at Jesus saying, I can't believe you're doing that. You're in that house. You're eating with those people. But if Matthew had not reached out to them, no one was going to reach out to them. Pharisees weren't. Scribes weren't. <laughs> you know, in that day, in society, they believed if you had a meal with someone that expressed total acceptance and total friendship. In other words, you were giving your approval of their lifestyle. That's what they believed in that time period. A religious leader would never have fellowship with these kinds of people, that's what they were taught. It was guilt by association. The Pharisees did business as much as they could only with Pharisees. When they traveled, they only stayed with other Pharisees. They didn't want to have anything to do with any other person. And so they are condemning Jesus and his disciples for being with people who are sinners. But Matthew understood what he was supposed to do. He instinctively knew what we should be doing. First of all, there's identification. Identification. He identified his mission field. He looked around and said, these are the guys that I know. These are the people I'm going to talk to. You have a mission field at work or or your neighborhood on the golf course or the gym, whatever. You have a mission field. That is, you need to identify who they are. Then there was interaction. He engaged them. He invited them to his party. He didn't separate from them. He didn't push them aside. He involved himself by interacting with them. And third, he influenced them. His life influenced them. Why? Because he invited them to meet Jesus, but they saw a change in Matthew. You see, if Matthew said, hey, I want you to meet Jesus, but I'm still a tax collector. He hasn't changed me at all. They're not going to listen to him. But Matthew said, this is Jesus. He changed my life. I've given up tax collecting. I left it right there. I, I left it all behind. I'm following him, and you need to listen to him. Well, his life backed up his witness. i've seen christians make two extremes on this there are some christians that will say i'll have nothing to do with the world i will not associate with the worldly people i will not associate with the sinners of the world doesn't work but that's what they think many years ago i was eating with someone and the church member the next day was mad they said you're eating a meal with that person and and you were endorsing their lifestyle, you were endorsing their action, you were saying their life was okay. Really? Hmm. Jesus ate with sinners. And so I asked the person, I said, by the way, just have you talked to them? No. Hmm. Have you asked them what they did? No. Hmm. Have you asked them to repent of their sins? No. I did. A few weeks later, the person came forward in church and publicly repented of what they did. But this person just couldn't understand how you could associate with someone. But the second extreme is, is just as bad. That Those are the Christians who want to be so much like the world. They will be of the world. They become so much like the world that no one listens to them. They go to the parties and they drink and take drugs and they laugh at the dirty jokes. And in the process, all they're doing is ruining their opportunity to tell someone about Jesus. Again, I remember years ago, a man was telling me, he he said, Pastor, I I messed up. I said, well, what did you do? He said, I, I was inviting a co-worker to church. My co-worker told me, you do everything I do, so I don't think Jesus can help me. He said, my life, ever since I've known this guy, is not backing up what I believe. Listen, the world can spot a hypocrite. They, they have a gift of this. If you're trying to be cool, if you're trying to, you want people to accept you at any cost, they're going to know if you're a hypocrite. We had a man in Huntsville. He, he came every Sunday. So one day I talked to him, he and another minister, and he said, Preacher, I don't believe a word you say about God, and I will never believe in God. Okay. He said, but I know you're not a hypocrite. I I really believe you believe what you're saying, and I believe your life backs it up. And I am so tired of being surrounded by hypocrites. That's why I come to this church. I just want to hear someone who's not a hypocrite tell what they really believe. The world will know if you're a hypocrite. The world will know. They will sense it. And we are to be in the world but not of the world. We are to be with people to tell them about Christ and yet not be like them so they will see a difference. Just like Matthew. Matthew got it. He said, I gave up everything to follow him and you need to listen to him. He's changed my life. Will you listen to him? preacher told a story true story about a reformed alcoholic named Joe Joe was converted to the Bowery mission they said he was not a nice person he was a mean man but then he gave his life to Christ and he changed he began to volunteer at the Bowery mission and they said his conversion stunned everyone all of a sudden he became the most caring person around he started helping everyone in the mission the workers the people of the street he, he considered no job worth beyond his dignity. He, he would clean up the vomit. He would scrub the toilets. He would uh, help the men uh, change clothes before they go to bed. He, he would uh, do whatever it took. He, he just ministered to people and talked to people and loved people. No matter who you were, it made no difference. Joe was there. One day they were having an evangelistic meeting. An evangelist asked people, if you want to give your life to Christ, will you come forward? If you want to give your life to Christ, come forward this man comes forward and he bows down. He began to cry out, Oh God, make me like Joe. Oh God, make me like Joe. And the evangelist went down and whispered and said, Son, I think it'd be better if you pray, make me like Jesus. And the man looked at the evangelist and said, Is he like Joe? That's all he knew Joe. He saw something in Joe's life he wanted. Jesus that should be us people should see Jesus in us so that when we tell them about Jesus they would want Jesus and if we live like Jesus and tell people about Jesus we learn from Matthew they will listen Matthew made a bad decision in his life became a tax collector but then he made the greatest decision of his life when he followed Jesus And his old life was gone. Jesus is still calling people like he called Matthew. He's still calling people to follow me. He's still calling people to repent. He's still calling people to come to him, turn around and give your life to him. Would you do that today? If you're online and you want to give your life to Christ, if you would text the word today at 270-398-5005. And a minister will give you a call to talk to you about how to give your life to Christ If you're here this morning, you want to give your life to Christ or or join this fellowship or be baptized as we've seen, as we begin singing, just come to the front. Talk to me or one of the ministers or after the service at the Connection Center. But we ask you to give your life to Christ if you haven't done so. But for those of us who are Christian, are you committed to be a recruiter to tell people about Jesus? Would you stand? Our Father in heaven, we've all made bad decisions. And we thank you, Father, that you forgive us. And help us, Father, learn from Matthew. That, Father, you can still use us. you haven't let us go and you haven't forgotten about us. And, Father, we may have messed up years ago, months ago. Or even last night. But Father, you're still there. And Father, my prayer today is that if there's anyone here who's never given their life to you, let them follow you. Let them give up where they're headed to turn around and come to you for eternal life and joy and peace and power. Father, I pray that you'll help us as believers, that we will share our faith. Father, you've given given us the the great commandment that tells us that we're to love you and love people. And if we really love you and love people, then we're going to do the Great Commission by telling people about Christ. Out Out of our love for you, Father, we'll be obedient. And out of our love for other people, we don't want them to go to hell. And Father, we're going to tell them about Jesus. And so, Father, use us and remind us, Father, that all of us have incredible potential in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.